start turning to Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, if you also want to, um, now nah, we're going to be all over the place. We'll just start in Ephesians 2. You can start turning there. Um, and I'm just going to go ahead and warn you guys, for some reason I woke up in a really sassy mood today. So if I get snarky at some point during this, it, it's not you guys. It's been me all day. I just woke up in a really sarcastic mood. Um, so uh, let's see. Um, who in here has ever been on YouTube. I would imagine most all of us at this point. It's like the second most popular search engine at this point. Like you got Google, and then you got YouTube. And that's my go-to, honestly. I'd much rather watch somebody do the thing that I'm trying to figure out how to do than actually read about it. Like reading just takes way too much effort, right? It's much easier to just watch the video of the guy doing the thing. Um, but but the rise of YouTube um, has, has, has kind of as that technology and as, as that kind of network kind of has developed, uh, it's really um, created an entire new industry. And I don't know if you're aware of this, but there's now a whole industry that's basically devoted only to movie trailer reaction videos. Has anybody noticed this? That, that as soon as any one new trailer for this new upcoming movie comes out, it's not just that you go get on YouTube and you watch the trailer. You watch people watch the trailer. And you watch how they feel about it as they watch the trailer. And you go from, from group to group, from person to person. Is this just me? Yeah. It's just me? But you know what this is. But that, that has also brought rise to a new industry on top of that. And that's people who make, who make montages and mashups of people reacting to movie trailers. And now you can watch the movie trailer in the middle and nine people around them Brady Bunch style all reacting at the same time. And at some point, somebody's going to start doing a mashup of, of mashup videos of all these people reacting to all the movies from an entire genre all at once. It's coming, people. This is the future. This is technology. This is what we all need, right? Don't get me wrong. I, I, I actually uh, I like watching movie trailers. When we, when we were going to do this last week, that was the Sunday after... Uh, the Avengers trailer had come out, and everybody's freaking out about the Avengers trailer, and everybody's crying at the Avengers trailer. People were crying. I was moved, man. I wasn't crying. But man, I like good trailers. But, but, but what is it that we like about trailers? When, when a new trailer comes out, when, when whatever your, your favorite movie is, and, and you've been watching all of these series, and the, and the last one's getting ready to come out, or the next one's getting ready to come out, what, what is it about a trailer that, that we like so much. It's this feeling of anticipation, right? This feeling of, this is going to be awesome, right? That, that's the feeling that they're going for. That's why they cut the trailers the way they do, and they leave you just a little bit of information, but not so much that you understand what's really going on. And they cut in a way that's maybe mysterious. And they, and they maybe take some things out of context so that you think, oh, they're setting up this thing's going to happen. But really, that thing's not going to happen. But, but they, they leave you with all this different, these different feelings, different emotions, all this different suspense. That feeling when you watch a really good movie trailer that you feel is hope. In kind of a weird sense. Because you're hoping that the movie is going to give you the same emotional reaction that that trailer did. You're, you're hoping that, that as good as that one and a half, two and a half minute trailer was 
all those things that you saw, all those feelings that you may have felt, you're hoping that when you pay your $17,000 to go watch that movie in the theater a few months later, that you're going to feel all those same emotions, that, that there's going to be a big payoff, that, that, that it's, going to, it's going to come through in a way that's going to, to give you that same emotional feel, the same, the same satisfaction that watching the two-and-a-half-minute version of the trailer made you feel. You're hoping that you'll get all of those same emotional things. That's hope in a sense. And that's what we're going to talk about this week. As we continue through our Advent series, we're going to talk about the hope that we found in Jesus' coming. The hope that we feel when we're around him. And, and, and it wouldn't make sense to talk about hope if I also didn't explain what, what hopelessness was. Because, because if, I, if I'm going to tell you what hope is, i got to tell you what, what having hope in Christ is saving us from. What, what having Christ keeps us from feeling. Um, a couple weeks ago, several of us went to um, Jason's court hearing. Many of you know Jason. Um, and, and as we're sitting there, and right before they're getting ready to start all of the different hearings, um, all the different prisoners who have been in there kind of come out, and it's, they, they instruct you, you know, don't make eye contact, don't make a reaction, Just, they're here for this thing and then they're going to have their hearing, and then they're going to go back. And there's just, in that whole room, story after story after story is just filled with hopelessness. It's, yeah, I'm going to go back in. No, I have no defense. No, I did the thing. I'm going to take my time. I'm going to serve my sentence. I'm going to do this. And there's just this, this feeling of, in that situation, in that room, and I was just left with a sense of, man, where there is no Christ where there is no church, where there is no support from the gospel, where it is only this is the situation that I have put myself in and now I am facing the consequences of that. There is no hope. And for many of these guys, for many of them, it's I'm getting ready to serve a really long period of time. I'm going to be here, I'm going to be waiting for a long time, and, and, and I don't see an immediate promise of hope in my near future. Think about where, where Israel had been for 400 years before Christ finally came, right? They were told, he's coming, he's coming, this Messiah is coming. I mean, we can go back all the way back to Genesis, right? And we could say, Messiah's coming, the fixer's coming, the healer's coming, the Savior's coming, but they've been waiting for hundreds, thousands of years for that, for that Messiah. They've been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and seeing, and seeing all the sin and all the problems and all the pain, right? They, they'd, been, they'd lost their identity. They'd been, they'd been kicked out of their home. They're, and they're looking and they're like, when is this Messiah actually supposed to come? We're just sitting here waiting for the end. That was that same kind of hopeless feeling that I kind of felt in that room. Just this sense of waiting. They were passed from empire to empire. No autonomy. No identity. And this makes sense. This, this, this is how they should feel in a sense. They should feel hopelessness in that sense. If you're in Ephesians chapter 2, go ahead and look 
at verse 12. This is the picture of what it looks like to be without Christ, to be without the Messiah, to be without the Redeemer. Ephesians 2, verse 12 says, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. The very idea of hopelessness is directly connected with godlessness. The idea of having no hope is so connected to our lack of connection to the gospel, to the lack of of the joy that comes from knowing Christ. It It is unmistakable. When was the time that you felt the most hopeless? When was the time that you felt there is nothing that can be done to remedy this situation? When was the time that you were at your lowest or in the darkest point of your life? Is that now? Is that sometime in the past? Are you, are you are sometimes for me, are my most hopeless sometimes feels like at the end of a semester and I've got all my projects that I've been working on all that semester. It's like, I really need to get these done before Christmas break because I said I'd have these done, you know, that kind of thing. And it's like, I got to finish this, I got to finish this, I got to finish this. Maybe you feel that at different times at your job or whatever. Maybe there's, maybe there's different periods where the stress really kind of ramps up for you. And, and you can feel, feel hopeless. Maybe it's, maybe it's this time you know you're going to have to be working with this one coworker. Or you're going to be getting together with this part of your family. Or you're going to have this class that you have to finish. Or this, this project that's really been looming over you. How closely were you walking with God during that time when you felt the most hopeless? How was your walk with Christ? How connected were you to Christ? How was your prayer life? How was your, how was your time studying the word? How was, your, how was your fellowship and community with the church, with other believers? Where was, where was your heart and attention when you were with the church? Were you actually present mentally, emotionally, or were you completely disconnected? And just kind of going through the motions of being together with the people of God. Because I imagine, and this has always been true for me, that that when I feel the most hopeless, I'm often at my least disciplined point in my spiritual life. I'm not praying as much. I'm not studying as much. And I'm more just kind of getting by on my own, maybe I can get through this. So think about it. Are you in that point right now? How closely connected are you to the church? How closely are you connected to the gospel right now? Because if you're feeling hopeless, I imagine it may be because you're in kind of the same place that Israel was. Disconnected from your identity in Christ. Disconnected from your father. Disconnected from your family. And it's easy to lose hope in those moments. But what exactly is hope? So we should define it. I looked it up. A feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. 
So that's kind of hoping for something in the future. That's kind of like what we were talking about with movie trailers. A desire that this movie's going to be amazing or a desire that that scene's going to play out the way they showed it in the trailers with some really amazing payoff. A feeling of expectation and desire that a certain thing to happen. It's a feeling of trust. I have, I have hope in this thing. I have hope in this thing that is consistent and reliable. And it's to want something to happen or to be the case. Uh, I'm hoping that this is going to work out the way that, that I anticipate it will. I'm hoping that something is going to happen. And, and I would add one more thing to, to all of these. I would add that, that it's like the desire for a preferred thing to happen. Or to want something positive to happen. To want something that, that you would desire. You're hoping that something beneficial is coming. There's a, there's a sense of positivity in hope. There's a, there's a sense of glass half full in hope. There's a sense of you see, a, you see a negative situation, you see a lot of work, or you see a stressful end of your class, or you see whatever the situation may be, you see that, but you have hope in that it's not permanent. It's not going to last forever. Or, or it's happening for a good reason, or something good is coming out of it, or there is a positive outcome that we can anticipate. Hope carries a sense of positivity with it. And that's an idea that I usually can connect with. I tend to be more a glass half full kind of guy. I tend to not be a worrying kind of guy. I tend to be, a, eh, everything's going to work out just fine. Sometimes, Sometimes blindly so, and sometimes lazily so. Oh, it'll work out fine. Well, you still have to actually get up and do something. Ah, I don't know about that. That kind of bad application of hope, maybe. But, but I don't want you to think that, that, that hope and optimism are the same thing. It's not just, I think real good things can come out of this, right? Hope, hope isn't just the assumption that everything's going to be fine. Hope, hope, is, hope is grounded in a, a, a trust that, that the thing that you are hoping in is going to carry you through. Just to kind of stick with, to stick with my, my, my movie genres right now. It's really easy to have a lot of hope that the next MCU movie is going to be great. I'm about to make DC fans mad. But I don't have a whole lot of hope in a lot of the DC movies. I don't have as much hope because they just haven't been as good. They haven't been as well written or whatever. They just haven't paid off as well. So to say, oh, here's this trailer for this next upcoming movie. I trust, I, my, my hope is grounded and rooted in something a bit more concrete when I'm, when I'm looking at the MCU movies versus the DC movies. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm sorry. I, I will try to come up with a better example before the end of this sermon. And I know I will. But it's not just optimism. It's not just a, an upbeat attitude. That's not what hope is. Hope, hope is grounded in, I'm, I'm putting my hope in something that I can rely on, right? It was that second definition that I gave you? It's a feeling of trust. It's, it's something that I trust. I, I, I can count on it. It is reliable to me. And we, as the people of God should be the most hopeful people in our society. If you want to turn to Hebrews chapter 11, you can. I'll give you just a second. Hebrews chapter 11. I'm going to connect, 
I'm going to connect the idea of hope with the idea of faith, which is something that we as the people of God are a whole lot more comfortable talking about usually. Hebrews chapter 11, I'm going to read verses 1 through 3. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Faith is the very core of Christianity. And what is faith except that it is demonstrated through our confidence in the things we hope in? That is what faith is. Our faith is confidence in the cross. Our faith is confidence in the gospel. When we put our faith in God, we are putting our faith in this thing that we hope is going to deliver us. But this isn't some sort of mysterious hope. This isn't some sort of maybe this thing will pay off in the end. There's no, there's no mystery like a movie trailer with the gospel. The hope that we're putting in God, our faith in God, is something that we can believe is rock solid. And we can be confident that he will see through all the things that he has said. We're not, we're not just hoping in something that, that may or may not pay off in the end. We're not just hoping in some other fallen creature. We're not hoping in something that is still ultimately filled with sin. We are hoping in the creator of everything. We are hoping in the one because we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. He, he made everything out of nothing. So the things that we don't see about him, we can still have faith in because everything that we can see was once something that could not be seen. Does that make sense? As I connect that to that verse, that makes, you see what I'm saying? Like, like, even the things that we see, he made. So the things that we can't see are still true if he says they're true. And he can show them to us if he would like to. It is up to him. But some things he doesn't reveal to us. And that's why we have faith. We have faith because we can look back and see what he has done, what he has made, what he has created. And when we, when we have this confidence in who he is and what our faith is in him, the way we demonstrate that is that we become hopeful people. We don't see the brokenness of the world around us and say, there is no hope. Everything has fallen apart. We say, we have a God that we are looking to. We have a God who has done so much, who's made so many beautiful things, who's brought these, these, these people together who should not have been brought together, who did not deserve to be brought together and added to his family. But we've seen that he has done these things, these amazing things. And so we should have hope. We should say, there is a way out. It isn't the end, this, this sinful, broken world that we are living in. This isn't the ultimate. This isn't the end all. This isn't, this isn't where it stops. We have hope in something that, that we can be confident will come through for us. You may be saying, that sounds great, but I don't feel very hopeful, and my faith isn't very solid. How can, how can I manufacture that feeling if I don't have it? I can't manufacture my faith. 
How do, I manu- how do I make myself be a hopeful person? How do I make myself look at the situation that I'm in and be resolute that there's something good coming out of it? How do I, how do I manufacture that? Can I even do that? No, of course not. And you don't have to. And that's the hopeful part. You don't have to make yourself be filled with faith. You don't have to make yourself be filled with hope. If you still have Ephesians 2 saved, uh, I'm going to go ahead. We've read this verse so many times. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. In that verse, he's not just saying, I'm giving you grace. He's saying, I'm giving you grace, and I'm giving you faith. I'm giving all of these things to you. So, so the way that we, the, the, the very thing that we demonstrate in faith, that hopeful sense, comes from God, comes from the Holy Spirit filling us up, revealing to us who He is, who God is, and who our hope should be in. And He fills us with all of that that hope that we should desire. That's why I go back to saying hopelessness is directly connected with godlessness. If we are in Christ, if we are connected to Him, we will be filled with hope. That's a promise. Grace and faith are both gifts that God gives to us. He gives us everything we need to be hopeful. That's it. All we need to be hopeful is to be rock solid, confident in who He is. Because if we're confident in who God is, if we're confident in what He's going to do, if we're confident in what He's able to do, if we're confident in salvation, why would we ever be hopeless? What could shake us away from the feeling of, I've got Jesus and I need nothing else? Whatever your situation is, whether it's, whether it's again, school, work, family, whatever the relationship is that you're thinking about right now, that is rocky. Why would we give up and say, there is no hope for this if we are connected to Christ? Because sure, apart from Christ, we would have no hope. That's what we read at the beginning of Ephesians chapter 2, right? You were separated from Christ, alienated, having no hope without God. Sure, we know what that could be. But if you're claiming Christ, if you're in Him, then you have hope. We have everything that we need. I'm going to keep reading in Ephesians chapter 2. This is verse 13. But now, you, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Salvation removes our hopelessness, it takes it away. In Christ, you have hope. Because he has taken away all of, the, all of the fear of what comes next. All of the wondering about what can he do. We've been brought near to him. The, the promise that Israel was waiting on, was hoping in, has been, has been paid off. They kept get, being given all these, these teases and hints along the way. This guy's going to come. This is what he's going to be like. And they get all excited, Right? Our King is coming. Our Savior is coming. Our Redeemer is coming. And they get all this feeling. Right? And then He comes 
And, and for some of them, he wasn't exactly what they wanted. And so they separated themselves from him. They pushed him away. They said, that's not what I thought the trailer was promising me. That's not the movie I was expecting to get to watch. And they rejected it. But for those of us who know who Christ is and what Christ was, we see, we see all these hints throughout the Old Testament we see all these promises of what this Redeemer, this Messiah was going to be. And then when he gets there, we see what he puts himself through on our behalf. We see the sacrifice that he goes to. We see to what ends he demonstrates his love for us. And we're like, that's him. That's the one. That's the hope that Israel was waiting on. And that's the hope that I can have now. As we lean into Christ, we find something to hope in. Christ's coming brought hope to Israel and brings hope to us. And here's the thing. Our hope is in something trustworthy and permanent. The thing that we hope in is assured. We're not hoping in a movie. We're not hoping in a person. We're not hoping in a job. We're not hoping in a degree. We're not hoping in a relationship. We're not hoping in a child. We're not hoping in anything but Christ. Because if we put our hope in any of those other things, those things can and will at some point fail us. If our faith is directly connected to a relationship with another human being, if our faith is directly connected to our relationship with the church, if our faith is directly connected to our job, if our faith is directly connected to insert your life situation. If that's what our faith is in, then our hope is going to be shaken because those things will let you down. But, if our faith is in Christ, if our faith is in Him, He will not fail us. His work has perfectly accomplished all that is needed for us to be saved. So what do we do with hope? What are we supposed to do? I'm going to read just a little section out of Romans chapter 12. And in this section, he's just kind of rattling, Paul's just rattling off a lot of do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. And there's, a, there's this really cool section right in the middle. I'm going to read all, all of this, this section, but, um, but I'm going to come back to the part about hope in just a second. Uh, Romans chapter 12, uh, verse 9 says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality." And there's a lot more in here that we could get into, but, but in the middle of this list we're saying, here's what it looks like to live out your faith. Right? Here's what it looks like to be close to God, and here's how you're going to live it out. Right in the middle there, rejoice in hope. Go back one slide there. Go back one verse. Yeah, rejoice in hope. Rejoice in hope. Not just feel like, okay, I can trust that God's got it. I'm good. Right? Look at what, look at what Christ has promised. Look at what Christ has provided. And be filled with this overwhelming sense of joy that comes from knowing that I have 
hope. There is something that I'm moving toward. There is a positive end to this thing. We're going somewhere. Christ is taking me somewhere. When we, when we pray that, that prayer or we sing that song, O come, O come, Emmanuel, He is coming. Rejoice, rejoice. He's come. Right? Those are the words that we just sang. And, and I hope that as we sing those words, we're not just singing them because they're on the screen or because Nick is playing them or because we know this song, we've heard this song for years because that's the song they play around Christmas time and that sort of thing. But no, connect to that message. We have, we have hope that Christ did come. And so because we know that he did do the thing he said he was going to do, we can have confidence that when he says, I'm coming back for you, my church, he's coming. And we can rejoice in that hope. We can rejoice in knowing that Christ is coming back for us. Our hope leads to praise. I go back and ask you, so when you're at your lowest, when you're at your most hopeless, what is your worship like during that time? What is your joy like at that time? What does it look like to rejoice while feeling hopeless? I don't think those two things can happen at the same time. If I have no hope, what am I going to be rejoicing in? But the fact that we have hope leads us to praise. I want to kind of connect um, the last sermon that we, that we did on preparation and being prepared to this. Because I think these two, these two ideas go really well together. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says... But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. And here's the big, here's, here's the big picture. The more hopeful we are, the more the gospel will advance through us. As we're hopeful, because, because here's the thing, we're the ones who have hope, right? If, Christ, if Christlessness, if godlessness is connected with hopelessness, then, then those of us who are in Christ are the ones who have real hope, unwavering hope, hope worth rejoicing in. And if we're prepared to explain that hope, that's what he's saying, right? If, you, if you're living your life in a hopeful way, that is going to look really different than what most people are experiencing on a day-to-day -day basis. Because like I said, this world is filled with hopelessness because it is filled with godlessness. And so, so we need to be ready. We need to be prepared to explain what this hope is. That's the Great Commission, right? That's the, go and make disciples. How do you do that? Be excited about Jesus. Rejoice in the hope that you have in knowing him. Be, be driven by the joy of knowing salvation and be unwavering in your hope that he is coming back for you. Be filled with, this all comes down, boils down to being confident in Christ and being able to look at what your life is becoming as you grow closer to him. And to take a step back maybe sometimes and look at where you are emotionally. 
Look at where you are. Are you filled with hope or are you filled with hopelessness? When you imagine going and spending time with the church, does that fill you with, oh, I'm going to be filled with hope or it's hopeless that I will ever connect with those people? Like, like take, take a look at your life. Take a look at where you are. Are you filled with confidence in what Christ says he's going to do in your life? And then take a look at where you have been connected or not connected with him. That's, that's the strongest encouragement I think I can give you in this. If you don't feel hopeful, if you don't feel like this is going somewhere, if Christ is doing something, if you, don't, if you don't feel that same sense that the Bible says you're supposed to feel if you're connected to Christ, then I would ask you to examine how closely connected are you to Christ. How is your prayer life? Are you in the Word? Are you, are you connected with the body? Because, because I can say with full assurance that there is hope. Because I have seen what God said would happen. I have seen what Christ has done. I have seen what Christ has done in my life. I have seen what Christ has done in the lives of so many people in this church. I'm going to tell this story. I heard this story last week. And this is an exciting story. So we had a prayer night here. Has it been two weeks now? We had a prayer night here that we hosted for the Holy Friendship Collaborative. And we kind of broadcast it to a couple of different churches in the region. Um, one of, and, we, and it was because they said, we want to have a prayer night. And we volunteered. We said, we have prayer nights all the time. We'll show you how we do it. And so they were watching. They were participating. They were practicing prayer night the way that we've been doing prayer night. Um, this was in Damascus. And, and they were just sitting around praying. And that, that particular church has um, a prison ministry that they're really, really committed to. And so they spent a lot of time praying for uh, the guys that they minister to in the prison, and they spent a lot of time praying for the ministry itself. That next week, they went to their, their, their regularly scheduled prison ministry um, time, and 11 people got saved. Yeah, amen. They went back the next week, and like another 13 or 14 people got saved. To the point that the pastor of that church said, okay, so we had this prayer night. We prayed that something amazing would happen, and something amazing has happened, and he's now canceled everything that they do on Sunday nights, and they're going to just copy our prayer night thing for the rest of the foreseeable future. Because they realized we got, we got really closely connected with, with Christ, and this amazing thing happened, and, and it filled them with hope for their ministry and hope for these guys that they're trying to minister to. And every time we have a prayer night, every time we spend a lot of time in prayer, just in general, it doesn't have to, it doesn't, it's not magical that it's on a Sunday night and we have, we have the synth pads playing and the lights are dim and we're writing things. Like, I love that and we're not going to change that. But, but that's not the magical part. The magical part is, is Christ. The amazing part is Christ. What Christ is doing in answering these prayers. And when we, when we, whenever we do this, we're like, wow, amazing things happened because we prayed for them. We should do that again sometime, right? If we're, if we're going to be hopeful people, if we're going to see amazing things happen, we've got to be close to God. We've got to be close to Christ. We've got to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And as we see that, as we see what, what being close to Christ does, we're filled with hope and we're filled with joy and we're filled with cause for rejoicing. 
Because of everything that he's done that we have seen, we have hope in all the things that are coming in the future that we do not yet see. Let's pray.